Welcome. Whoa, that was a bit loud. Welcome to another bite side. I'm Seamus Byrne, and Nick's here too. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm I'm doing all right. I hope I didn't blow the cans off your ears. No, no, it's fine. My, my ears are new to it now. I have old man ears. You'd have to be twice <laughs> as loud and three times the pitch for me to even hear. Yeah, what? Huh? I didn't hear. <laughs> um, look, we're back. Another bite side. Um, Thanks for joining us. If you're listening, if you're not listening, then it means you're not even hearing my voice right now. So what's the point? <laughs> um, but hopefully if you like come in in a few weeks time and you think I might go back and listen to an old episode, this is for you. Shout out. Yeah, to your sh- back catalogue listeners. Shout out indeed. It's a bit like, you know, if two middle-aged white men talk into a microphone and no one records it, is it even a podcast? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how many listeners there are. It is still technically a podcast. <laughs> Whatever happens. <laughs> you, you, I've noticed, are being a bit angry at social media today. Yeah. So, I... I Look, we've all had our little moments with Facebook over the years where we sort of think, it's going to be good for my health to just (laughs) not use it quite so much. Um, I know, you know, you did it yourself for a while. I'm not sure what your current status is, but I really, I I think with a sequence of stories about Facebook lately, I just sort of finally went, no, that's it. I'm done. You know, they just, they are an absolute blight on civic society, mm. uh, you know, they, so the first one was just all these scam ads that are just, you know, and they've been basically saying, oh, we just, we don't know what to do about it. Um, and you think, well, really, you know, there, there are, there, you could probably run an algorithm that just searches for the name Mike Baird and assume at this stage that it is a scam ad if someone has placed an ad with the words Mike Baird in it. Um, this is, you know, some Bitcoin scam or other. Um, it actually popped up on Media Watch earlier this week. Really? And, you know, they sort of got into that whole thing. Um, and then today there's another story where they basically said that, uh, and this is something that first came up back in April before the federal election, where there were these fake tweets being distributed on Facebook but from Sally McManus, the head of the ACTU, and from Bill Shorten saying all sorts of things that Labor was planning on doing that were completely false. Uh, and at the time, Facebook basically went, hmm, we're not really going to do anything about it because, you know, we'll just downrank it a little bit if it happens to say things that aren't technically true, but we don't want to be the arbiters of truth. <laughs> And that's the one that really sort of hit me. Just that, you know, and then it's come up at this point where they've just basically at this stage said, yeah, no, we're, we're not taking them down because really, you know, it's just different people have different attitudes to what may or may not be true. And this is even after their own fact-checking people had actually said, yeah, this is false. Not just it could be construed as false. This is false information. It's and a- they've gone, we'll just, you know, the, if someone reads the page it's on, that's still okay, apparently. I'm just, it puts Facebook in such an unusual position because we are asking them to behave like a publisher. And my initial thing is like, they're just a facilitator, but they're not anymore. They're not. I've got a very old school view of what they used to do. They have to be regarded as a publisher when it comes to things like this. Yeah. You know, like particularly when something has been drawn to their attention, yeah, they can't just say they're a carriage service. You know, that sort of classic argument to say, oh, we're just a distribution system. It's like these are people, like in the case of the scam ads, these are people 
that you're allowing to buy distribution on your system. You're selling an ad, you're making money, and therefore you need to be responsible on some level for how that works. You know? And if you feel like it's too hard, well, hire more humans to help make it easier. And if you're not willing to do that, then bugger off, right? And then, yeah, just this whole sort of truthy crap sort of attitude. Um, it's just, I've just had enough. So look, and the way that I feel like I'm going to treat it is I'm treating it just as a, a workspace. I will continue to promote the work that I do there because lots of people exist on their platform and I'm just not going to use it as a personal space. And I'm certainly like, it's deleted from my device now. Wow. I'm just going to use it as a way to say, here's a thing I am doing, or here's a story I wrote or whatever it might be. You know, there, there's a bite side page. I'll, I will actually probably put more work into trying to keep that up to date because I'm not just scrolling mindlessly through <laughs> the minefield that is the newsfeed. So I have deleted Facebook in the past. I've taken breaks from Facebook. I mean, you never truly delete Facebook, do you? You just pause it for a while. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, working for the ABC, there's quite a focus on Facebook. And so it is important for me to have one. But I made a decision a little while ago about my personal Facebook to stop using friends only or any of those kind of constricted audience options that you have and change the way I post that if I assume that every single thing I post is going to be freely available to anyone who comes by, will that change what I say? And it did. It meant that I basically never used Facebook again apart from going in <laughs> and scrolling the news feed and then uh, giving a couple of drive-by likes to a few things, uh, maybe a retweet, uh, not a retweet, uh, a, oh, you should definitely read this here and there. And that's all I do with it now. And it's been yeah. really interesting. It's almost as if my brain has only, you know, as I hit my middle 40s, got room for one particular social media thing. So I forget that Instagram exists until, you know, about every fortnight. I'm like, oh, Instagram. Oh, I should see what's happening on Instagram. Facebook, I kind of scroll through a little bit, but I barely do anything on it. I save all my time for Twitter. I thought you were about to say that you've gone hardcore on TikTok now. I would love to be on TikTok. I really would. I remember at PAX, everyone trying to convince Dave Callan that he has to be on TikTok. If he's not, <laughs> I'll be very disappointed. This was on the back of his uh, extravaganza movie that he showed off on main stage, Hursty Blade. <laughs> we, we, there was a lot of convincing him that he needed to take it to TikTok. I don't know what I'd do with TikTok. I, I, I want to leave it for the younger generation, because they are doing things with it that I will never have the creativity to do. There's something in that, isn't it, where you sort of think, you know you've crossed the threshold when you say, you know, I'm just going to let that next social network go through to the keeper. They, let's just... <laughs> they don't need me on it. I mean, look, let's be honest. I came onto Facebook because it was sold to me by an old colleague as my space for adults. Now, that gives you an idea of how we looked at Facebook a decade or more ago. My space for adults. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm going to post a clearer message on Facebook kind of announcing my intention, partly because I do really want more people to think about it, you know, that it's like the fact that, you know, that there is a very direct line that involves Facebook in genocide in Myanmar because it was one of the major distribution platforms for sort of racism against the Muslim minority there uh, and that they, you know, have admitted that they acted too slowly to deal with any of it, that they basically let it happen. And it is just clear that years down the road, they have not in any way 
learned anything. They've simply tried to keep getting better at apologizing. And that's what I've had enough of. You have absolutely reminded me, and I don't know how I managed to forget this, the series of articles I wrote when we were at CNET about when my face got stolen and used for Mm -hmm. scam ads. I'd totally forgotten about that. Oh, I'm going to have to track Now they've realized it's so easy. They can just steal famous people's faces. <laughs> they don't need me. I was Stephen, 44, from Melbourne when I was back when I was still in my 30s. I was outraged, absolutely outraged that anyone would think I was from Melbourne. And <laughs> yeah, nice. You finally made it to Stephen, 44. <laughs> Stephen, 44. I'm past it now. This is terrible. Um, I want to change up a little bit because I, I love a good rant. I love a good angry, but I just want to talk about something positive at the moment. I've decided yeah, on, I'm do all, all in on home automation. I am about to be a homeowner for the first time ever. Terrifying. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And I am super excited to start thinking home automation. I'm already, like in my little two-bedroom flat, I just realized I've actually got four Google Home voice activation devices, which is ridiculous. Like how four even Like just the hockey puck-sized ones? I've got the big one, the hockey puck size. I've got a third-party one that has the um, uh, voice assistant integration. And I want the... What were they called? The hub with the screen? Is it the hub? Hub? Yeah, the hub. I want the hub. But I want the whole thing. I've decided now that I've actually got a place, you know, my initial thought was what every renter thinks when they think about buying somewhere. They're like, I could put a picture hook up and no one could tell me not to. I'm (laughs) like, okay, I've gone through the picture hook and I've decided to go even higher. I want like smart doorbells. I want the proper kind of digital locks. I want the works. And I'm going to do it myself. Oh, like full digital lock action. I want the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I want the whole good. thing. And I don't even know where to begin. Um, but I, I am really excited to do this because I actually think, and you and I have talked about home automation many times over the years, but what mm. we're going to do, I remember you and I both um, getting uh, digital locks ages ago and then trying to work out if we wanted to install them. Did we feel like they were safe at the time? This is what, like half a decade yeah. ago or more. I feel like I've hit a point where I'm comfortable doing it. And I don't know if that's naive of me, but I am feeling like I am comfortable knowing that my home has that remote automation. And look, I think there's that nice thing that's been through a few generations now, particularly on the security front, right? Yeah, where they've been working out what what were the glaring errors in the first few generations uh, when it came to things like, oh, if if they just kind of ping a Wi-Fi signal at this thing, somehow it magically makes it pop you know and all those weird tricks that sort of turned out to have happened but uh it's definitely yeah definitely hit a point where you know and look we the main thing we've done here in our house was we got the nest fire alarms and that's been pretty cool because basically we we upgraded to those because we found um we just had bog standard ones installed when we first got the house yeah and they had the worst like hair trigger response to me. <laughs> literally in the middle of the night they would just go off and you're like there's not even somebody doing anything he's at a ghost um so, yes but clearly clearly it was <laughs> um whereas yeah now these uh we've got yeah like the nest fire alarm things and they you know they've got one of the like the really cool things is just they have motion detecting and a little dim light. And so down our hallway, it means if you do get up in the middle of the night because you need to go to the bathroom or whatever, um, as soon as it notices you walking, it's like there's just a faint glow and it means you don't have to turn on a, a big light. There's just that faint, nice 
lighting to get you through to wherever you need to get to. And stuff like that is where it's just like, it's not necessarily even about the big solutions, but that's just something that you go, this makes life easier every single day because it's just a little bit cleverer than, than a boring old one. You're talking my language. I mean, for me at the moment, home automation mostly revolves around music. I found it really convenient to have all those speakers networked into one home network. I can play my music anywhere. And sure, it would be an audiophile's nightmare because I am playing music over the hockey pucks. I know that that's not what a lot of people want. They want the proper kind of inbuilt, you know, I know you're a Sonos fan. They want that level of audio fidelity. I just want a bit of music in the background. That's what I like about it. And I like being able to say, put it on in the kitchen, put it on in the bedroom, put it on everywhere around the house. To me, that is the simple solution that's really convenient. Maybe, you know, it's not solving anything that, necessarily needed to be solved, if I'm perfectly honest, but I'm really enjoying it. And I want to take that to the next iteration. I want that, uh, just that level of convenience absolutely everywhere. So super excited about what I can do. That's awesome. And one extra question there is, so at the moment, we're in this weird transition phase for Wi-Fi with Wi-Fi 6 starting to, you know, it's now standard, starting to arrive in devices. I, I need to upgrade because my router is on the blink, but I don't want to upgrade until I know I can get the next generation device so that I'm, you know, future-proofed a bit, but then also tossing up the whole mesh networking thing because that's definitely a big part of, particularly if you're trying to get smart home stuff working everywhere, then you want to know you've got that reliable Wi-Fi blanket right across your house. Um, and we definitely have that issue with, you know, on my side of the bed, it's like in one of the furthest corners of the house <laughs> that I just pop in and out of Wi-Fi sometimes. And you're like, no, damn it. I want to, I want to watch that streaming thing and not have to go to 4G. Um, so there's, yeah, that's one of those big questions that you're going to have to think about is do you delay a bit or maybe just stick to what you got for a little while? It, look, it's a really good point and something I hadn't actually processed through. Um, so Dubbo is an interesting thing when it comes to NBN because Dubbo was half done when the government changed and NBN policy oh, changed. Nice. So Dubbo, a lot of homes, fibre to the premises, absolutely blistering fast, absolutely beautiful. Not where I'm going to be. We are fibre to oh. node. So still NBN, but fibre to node. And yep. Honestly, that's what I've been getting lately. I haven't had a huge problem with it, but we are talking about a small two-bedroom flat. It's all the Wi-Fi coverage I need. I'm going to want to know that I can be in the backyard, my new, lovely, sizable backyard, and get coverage there. So you're right. I do need to think about that, and it's going to go on a list. Yeah. And this sounds like one of those topics, definitely, you know, in a few months' time, we'll we'll circle back and see how your uh, schwanky new home automation setup is going. Let's do it. And I'll probably tell you that I'm using two bean cans and a piece of string because I never got anywhere with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't, get, didn't quite get around to it. Yeah, yeah, no, just, uh, didn't just get been thinking it. Yeah. about it over the summer. Yeah, still living <laughs> on a mattress in my own spare room. Uh, it's fine. Everything's going fine. Disney Plus, yeah. have you subscribed? Uh, so we get it on Tuesday next week. So I haven't yet. Oh, were look, they not taking actually... pre-subscriptions? Oh, maybe they. Yeah, maybe they oh. did. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not going to bother giving them money until next Tuesday. Actually, I'm away next Tuesday, so I'll give them money on Wednesday and then wow. I'll be able to watch The Mandalorian. Of the Mandalorian. It's definitely just The Mandalorian at this point where I'm like, yeah, all right, look, here, 
I'll, I'll throw down some money to get the cool new Star Wars TV show. Um, but yeah, the reason I wanted to kind of bring it up and, you know, we've touched on it a few times, so I won't spend too long on it, but, uh, it just launched on Tuesday in the US. I saw a stat today where Disney has said they've had 10 million signups in America since Tuesday. Um, so it's kicked off pretty strong. It kicked off strongly enough that they had a bunch of issues on the first night because they always say that they're ready for the influx of users and they never are. They never are. But the thing that's been blowing people's minds is The Simpsons because 30 seasons of The Simpsons, that has definitely been one of the things that I've been thinking about being able to go, this is going to be great because it's just one of those great shows you can throw in in the background. It is. You know, get some classic vibes going. And it's turned out that at launch, it is on in a cropped widescreen format. And I cannot understand who even thinks that's like colorizing old movies, right? And so that's the idea that something that was originally 4-3 and that's the first 20 seasons of The Simpsons was in the 4-3 ratio. (laughs) It is now being gone, you know what? We'll just have it the whole screen wide and we'll chop off the top and bottom of the frame. No big deal. Dust the hands. We're out of here. See you later, everybody. Um, And naturally, people are screaming. People are screaming because I've seen some of these screen grabs. They're cutting out jokes. Whole, exactly. Whole I mean, that visual punchlines are being missed because of this cropping. That that one that I saw, you've probably seen as well. The the classic, uh, yeah, Duff Beer <laughs> uh, scene where you know he's on the tour and you can see there's the different kinds of Duff and and then the piping up in the roof is showing that it's all coming out of one pipe yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, and the that, pipe is cut off. <laughs> that is what's amazing. It's cut so perfectly that it looks like they are looking at three different things. Like you could not have ruined that joke more perfectly than if you'd sat down and deliberately cropped it that way. So it's just such a weird one. But then also I hadn't been paying that much attention. So in one of the articles that was writing this up locally, uh, they pointed out that actually we don't have to really worry about it because it turns out that in the standard schmozzle of rights around the world, uh, Foxtel still controls all the Simpsons rights in Australia. So actually Disney Plus isn't going to have the Simpsons at launch in Australia. Um, So, yeah, we'll just have to at least, uh, you know... (laughs) There's the dilemma. <laughs> do you want access to it at all or do you want it cropped? Uh, or, yeah, do you just not want it to exist? Anyway, um, uh, you know, it's just it, it sounds like one they're going to fix. One thing I read that they had apparently said, oh, yes, it will be in 4.3 where appropriate. And then day one, it's, oh, somebody forgot to uh, read the memo. It is just mind-blowing to me that they still think they can do staggered launches. Like, it it is ridiculous to think that you would launch in the US one week and not have your flagship Star Wars program pirated by the rest of the world that didn't have access to it. That aside, we still run into these issues. There's no good answer for it. It happens every single time you and I have ever spoken about a streaming service where the individual country licensing rights get in the way of making it either good or bad. And and there is no good answer for it, but it's just weird to see it still happening in 2019. Yeah. And I've seen so many friends talking about The Mandalorian, and I'm like, hmm, I didn't think we could watch this yet. Uh, and, I mean, I feel like I've just crossed that threshold now where I can't be bothered trying to pirate when I know that I'm about to get it. It's just re- – it is infuriating because – 
you think this is, yeah, this is event television. This is the kind of thing that everybody wants to be on top of. And as much as it's just one week, it's like that, that one week on social media can, can make or break whether you suddenly discover information that you really didn't want to know. <laughs> Look, it's going to get ruined at some point. You just know it is. We saw it with, yeah. you know, um, Game of Thrones and that was only what a three hour difference or something like that was all it took. Yeah. And look, I mean, right. I mean, Game of Thrones has a classic example of book readers who can sit on amazing <laughs> twists and turns for decades. And someone who watched the TV show can't sit on that information for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, not without making a reaction TikTok almost immediately. <laughs> it's like now, who doesn't know about the Red Wedding, right? Who does not know that that is a thing? And how many years did nobody know that there was this thing called the Red Wedding unless you had read the book? It, that's really interesting because have I ever had a book spoiled? I mean, there is the classic Harry Potter book spoiler where people even made T-shirts yeah. about that. Um, but before that, before there were those kind of event novels like Harry Potter, I don't think I ever had a book deliberately spoiled for me. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, yeah, nothing else leaves to mind either. There's a question for readers. Readers? <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> Re- listeners who read see that was the that was the way around that it was meant to be i get what you meant send us in your tip if you've actually ever had a book spoiled and how was it spoiled was it a dramatic you know chat in the pub spoiler where suddenly you've gone no what are you Why doing would you say that to me <laughs> uh i want to change up talk about video games for a moment if you don't mind i'm i'm imagining nick that you're <laughs> yeah. still holding to your uh theory that there is no game worth playing that is not currently on your list of, of games that you already own. That's true. <sighs> Look, there are games worth playing. I wasn't going to buy any of them. I've realized I'm going to have to cave. I've replayed a lot of games. I haven't... Yeah, look, anyway, having just replayed God of War, it's given me a real taste for storytelling. Okay, yep. I'm going to buy Outer Worlds. I'm going to buy the Outer Worlds. I am super excited about it. And when I went down and had a big think about what exactly I was excited about, It was really interesting because I haven't necessarily followed development studios. Like, you know that someone does something you like, but I haven't had that kind of commitment to a studio the way many people have. But I think maybe I do with Obsidian without realizing it. Because one of the big selling points for me with The Outer Worlds was knowing it was an Obsidian story and knowing what that means. And just thinking back to all of those games I've loved over the years, KOTOR 2, Alpha Protocol, just two of them off the top of my head, and knowing that it was something about them being Obsidian games that made them work for me has just kind of sold me on the Outer Limits. Oh, sorry, the Outer Worlds. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've been really excited by this one as well. I haven't played it yet. Um, it is. It looks fantastic. I think... The whole Obsidian thing really does sort of hit me. I was just actually trying to um, tap into Steam to kind of double-check what's on their full catalogue list. But they are absolutely one of those sort of old-time studios. Now, was Obsidian Icewind Dale? No. Maybe. No. Wait, hang on. Yes? No? Right back at the first time around, not the latest conversion type stuff. This is a very uh, good question. Yeah. I but don't think it. so. I, because, yeah, but they've been around since that 90s era of, uh, you know, of RPGs, of that sort of deep storytelling side of stuff. So um, I've, yeah, I've always loved, you know, drinking deep at the well of 
Obsidian games. Now, because there's also, uh, what's the other? There was one of the offshoots, Black Isle. Like, there's been all these. I think Obsidian came out of that Black Isle crew. Yeah. So Obsidian came, I think, really early 2000s and did have that kind of, you know, that Black Isle aesthetic coming through, which is why you probably, you know, Pillars of Eternity obviously has a very, very close kind of, you know, uh, affinity with Icewind Dale, um, which is probably where that's coming from. But, yeah, yeah, I just, gosh, it's just when I think of those stories. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I know, uh, I know. You know, yeah, Fallout New Vegas, of course. Of course. Yep. Uh, you know, fantastic stuff. And yeah, that's right. They did South Park. Stick oh, of Truth. Stick of Truth. Yeah. I did actually uh, and forget then, that. And yeah, and the Pillars of Eternity stuff, that was the one where they, that was their really big, uh, Kickstarter game, uh, when it was that idea of saying there hadn't been that style of RPG in a long time. And so they went, you know what? This is our roots. We want to make one again. And it was like a massively successful. And, you know, they managed to make a, a sequel off the back of that as well. But, yeah, they're awesome. And I'm, you know, I'm currently waiting for Outer Worlds on Steam because it launched exclusively to the Epic Store <laughs> at first because um, that's how things work at the moment. But I'm also not going to shout on the internet about it. I'm just going to quietly complain on my podcast. <laughs> so hang on, you're still committed to PC gaming? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yep. I just, I've never really gotten down with the whole taking over the, the living room, uh, you know, in order to play some games. I'd much rather like play, play on a gaming laptop while I watch TV. If God, that makes sense. How is that possible? That is that sounds like something millennials would do. How can you be doing that? <laughs> I mean, my, yeah, my classic sort of phrase about World of Warcraft, which I you know adore and play all the time to this day, has been it's my digital knitting. You know, it's the <laughs> thing that I love doing, and I slowly sort of go look at all the nice things I've made and unlocked and leveled up and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I do it alongside doing other things. No, it's got to be lounge room for me, and that means that I, I'm just I'm going to be a console junkie forever. There's also the ease of it to me. I I could see a scenario where I'd really like to get in to a bit of PC gaming. There's a few games I think would really suit that PC style. Um, it's the expense. I just can't justify it. Even a good la- gaming laptop, the expense compared to just updating a console every few years. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's a good point. And look, hey, I can. Switch gears now, jump on to speaking of expensive laptops. Oh, my God. Hit me. What have you got? <laughs> so just today, I uh, saw the news uh, came through overnight that uh, Apple has updated their top-of-the-line MacBook Pro. Uh, they've actually done that thing where they've now actually made it a 16-inch uh, MacBook Pro. So I guess because they, they haven't done the 17-inch monster in a long time. Um, 15 had been sort of the main thing. And they found that sort of sweet spot where, you know, because the bezel can now be, you know, pretty thin that they can get out a 16-inch screen in a body that's a lot like a 15-inch body, just a little bit bigger than that. But um, the main reason I bring it up, actually, is because, you know, for years now, everyone who has been a MacBook fan has been hating the keyboards that they introduced a few years back. So they went from what would be known. And yeah, so the first time a lot of people learned about the mechanisms involved with making (laughs) keyboards for laptops. So they used to use a scissor technology. And so that's where, you know, sort of two, um, you 
metal sort of beams are crossing over each other in a scissor type shape. And so when you click it down, the, you know, the scissor sort of opens wider. Uh, and then they moved to what they called the butterfly design. So, you know, sort of a set of wings essentially that are sort of depressing more from the outside than levering on the inside, all these sort of weird little details. But uh, a lot of people sort of thought of it as very much that Johnny Ive style of bringing that extra elegance to the design, if you know what I mean. I do know exactly what you mean. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, Johnny Ive left uh, Apple. Uh, I, oh, I can't remember if it was end of last year or just earlier this year. He still consults, but he is no longer permanently a fixture of the building and the head of the design team. Uh, and this seems like one of those little victories for the team that wasn't uh, directly the disciples of all things Ive because they have gone back to a scissor design uh, obviously a new upgraded fancier sizzle design, of course. Of course. Um, but yeah, all the kind of early reviewers who got their hands on, uh, they're saying the number one thing is the keyboard feels good again. <laughs> it's this horrible going backwards to go forwards kind of a scenario, right? Where it's like you shouldn't have to applaud a company for the fact that the keyboard finally feels like a good one again after years of not feeling good. But even things like the touch bar that has been on a lot of their devices for a long time, I had uh, a MacBook Pro that had it. So that's instead of having all the function keys, yeah. it has a, a little touch screen all across the top. Um, that the touch screen is still there, but they've reintroduced a physical escape key because a lot of people have, you know, rightly found that actually if the touch bar locks up weirdly for some reason, that the touchscreen escape key didn't work properly. That would be really annoying. Yeah. So all these sort of little bits and pieces that you go, oh, it, it seems like that, you know, that I guess we always want to encourage any company to sometimes say, you know what, just, just quietly admit to yourselves you made a mistake and restore some of the things that actually work properly from your previous designs you know so you don't want to just shout at them going finally you fixed it because you woke up to yourselves because i think any company should be willing to do that right to just fix a problem that they introduced by going yeah we'll just take two steps backwards and and let's get on with it from here um so i think that's been really positive but it's funny that you know the the highest end model in terms of pricing that's i think a really you know it's always fun to click all the buttons and go give me the biggest version what 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 what, what? Click, how click. much how much uh, nine thousand six hundred and seventy nine dollars and that's the kind of money that i'm like <laughs> fancy big laptops did used to price out at that price point and it's hard to ever find anyone that's willing to sell you a stupidly specced out laptop anymore so it's quite good you know, and the biggest reason for that is you can get eight terabytes of solid state storage in this thing well, and I, it, that is ridiculous that yeah. is amazing and that's it it's that kind of thing of going it is great that there is a button you can press to say yes i'm that one person who desperately wants eight terabytes of storage in my device and yes make it solid state so that it flies crazily because i'm the the crazy video person for, you know, for Disney or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it, you know, it's just good to know that that option is there if you need to click those buttons. If you just want the entry level, uh, you know, fancy, shiny new MacBook 16 inch, uh, pro, then it's like, you know, 3,800 bucks or something like that, which is still a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. still a lot of money. Look, I just want to go back a second because you've told me that people weren't enjoying this keyboard situation for a few years. 
they were still buying these laptops, even though they weren't enjoying the keyboards. There, there is some indication. I haven't seen any stats, but there's a lot of talk that a lot of people have actually been holding on to 2015 MacBook Pros. Ooh, okay. Uh, you know, and All right. using sort of some of those, you know, just external devices and things to sort of make it work better at their desk, stuff like that. So, you know, there may well have been some impact on, you know, how much people were buying. And even things like, you know, say the, the MacBook Airs that have been, you know, continued to have little upgrades and things, they didn't get these newer Mac uh, keyboard designs. So they've sort of also had their own little you know, group of people who went, well, I'll just, I'll just get the air for now, you know, and, and wait until they see what they do before I'm going to plonk down serious money for a big fancy new one. Look, as someone who's still using a Surface uh, laptop that's about four years past its prime, I'm in awe of anyone who updates a laptop regularly. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely in awe. Yeah. Have you played Death Stranding? I haven't. I do want to, and even... I, I feel like I'm a little slower to try to get my hands on it off the back of how wildly mixed the reviews have been, but I am still, I'm very keen to experience it. See, I have not played it and I do not want to play it, Ooh, but okay. I am incredibly happy that it exists. I, I, I just know it's not a game I would enjoy, but I love that we live in a world where a game like it can be made. A hundred percent. I adore the idea that, you know, this is one of those true crazy auteur type games, isn't it? You know, someone who is, he's got such, you know, Hideo Kojima for people who aren't sure who we're talking about, um, you know, used to work with Konami. Uh, all his Metal Gear Solid games were published through them. Uh, they had a falling out and he quit and went and just went, well, yeah, I'm just going to open my own studio and I'll find some people to give me money to make a big fancy new game. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was PlayStation who threw a lot of that money at him, uh, to get this game, you know, onto their consoles as the launch exclusive. Though I have already seen in Steam, it does say it's going to come next year to PC. So that's exciting for me. Um, but look, I've seen a few clips of people playing. I've, I've flicked it on on Twitch a couple of times just to sort of try to see, you know, all right, what are people doing in this thing? And it just, it looks like such a slow, deliberate, weird experience, um, that I do feel like it might be one of those games that I just sort of zen out in and, you know, carry, too many things up a hill, apparently, seems to be a common This refrain. is what's hilarious to me, is there's all this world building about death and the beach tide and the, the oil monsters and they, they, they are allergic to your own urine so you can make piss bombs to attack them and the, the world is splintered and all of this that's going on, you've got a baby strapped to your chest and you eat tardigrades and at the end of it, the actual action is that you deliver packages. Yeah, I, I cracked the joke the other day that, uh, like, is this a sequel to Kevin Costner's The Postman? Maybe. Why not? That <laughs> makes as much sense as anything else. Right? I mean, you know, hey, any game that has a very detailed encumbrance system, uh, hey, I'm I'm down. <laughs> I just think more and more I read about the gameplay, I'm just in awe that people are actually playing it. I, I just, it sounds infuriating and i love that people are loving it i really do because 
games should be challenging on multiple levels. They should be intellectually challenging. They should be emotionally challenging, as we've learned from the whole bloody Bloodborne kind of thing. They should be difficult as well, if that's what people want. Is Death Stranding all three? Yeah, that's a really good point, because (laughs) I did see someone, you know, they walked out of whatever... Uh, garage type thing they were in after having had some lengthy conversation with someone. And it looked quite, there was quite like an emotional sequence about it looked like somebody was sort of needing to be detached from a, you know, from what was now a um, invisible baby of some kind or something like so it wasn't the main character's baby which we've seen in sort of the trailers and things but this other person sort of had like this ghost baby that was attached to them and there was a real emotional weight to this conversation that was happening um and then after that he then sort of had to carry that person off somewhere else because for some reason they couldn't walk themselves he had to carry them um and so he's loaded them up on his back. They've walked out this front door after like spending ages loading up different bits and pieces that they're going to carry to some other place. Um, walked out the door and then, yeah, some like evil dude was there and summoned some oil monster and they were like, Oh my God. Uh, I, I, I wasn't ready for this. Uh, and then they like ran back into the garage <laughs> and like got onto some machine so that it would pause because they were on this machine while they then worked out okay i need to like actually check if i've got the right bombs and guns and things to fight this monster and after 20 minutes of that i before they'd even fought the monster i was like, i'm yeah i'm just gonna watch something else now this is wild like you can't even explain this game without it no. sounding a little bit like you're making it up yeah and I kind of, that's the thing I love. And look, you know, as someone who, cause I, you know, I did a film major at uni as part of my media degree and I adore avant-garde cinema stuff, right? Like there's so many great things where it's like, I love letting weird things wash over me for a couple of hours. I think that's that difference though with a game is I, you know, I feel like I want to experience this because it seems like it's quite a unique thing that it's trying to do and, and exploring. But it's that idea that there is a big difference between knowing, okay, I'm walking into this cinema and for two and a half hours, I'm going to have this really sort of weird experience and then walk out at the other end and it's over versus, you know, a video game that can command tens, even, you know, well, probably a game like this is probably tens of hours, um, you know, maybe 30 or 40. I'm not sure. I haven't, you know, I haven't double checked how long it is to do a playthrough, but that's it's a much deeper demand on time and it requires like you were mentioning that ability to deal with hard gameplay and that might be that thing where i go you know what like i just want to play it on easy mode so i can just enjoy the world without having to then have these super tricky boss fights and things in the mix Buy all that for next week because I want to talk a lot about easy modes and why I think they're absolutely essential. And just talking about weird games for a moment, I'm still mired into control at the moment. I'm loving it. I'm currently fighting an angry fridge in an old office building that is shape-shifting while using a magic gun, and I think it makes more sense than Death Stranding. So what game? A control. A control. It's okay. so good. It's so good. Oh, that, and that reminds me of the all-time great moment in Planescape Torment, um, which you know, was one of the great old 90s RPGs based on Dungeons & Dragons, um, where you help a an alleyway give birth because 
you know, there's just all these sort of weird sentient things in this uh, weird yes. city. Uh, and yeah, there's this great moment where you have a conversation with an alleyway and then discover that it is in fact alive and it's like giving birth to some other, I can't even, I can't remember what it gave birth to, but just that idea where you go, yeah, I love the fact that some writer decided to go this way. Um, and as you say, it definitely actually made sense by the end of that storyline. Um, yeah, whether Death Stranding does it or not is another question. Yeah, but uh, look, I think the end of that one is, Kojima, we salute you. God bless Death Stranding. I have no interest in playing it. And it's look, it's lovely to see his Twitter and his Insta and things like that of just this rock star game designer hanging out with cool actors like Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> and Norman Reedus. Um, he's clearly just had a ball making the game he wanted to make with some cool actors that he likes. And you're just like, yep, all power to you, buddy. Keep keep on doing it, and hopefully this works enough that someone else lets you make something else, or at least says, "Look, we'll let you make another one, but this time we are giving you some editorial structure to improve the concept." Keep on <laughs> trucking, you deeply, deeply weird man. Yeah. Look, we will wrap it up there for this week. Um, as you say, that will be a really fun chat, actually, to talk about easy mode a little bit because that's, yeah, that's a oh, really it's a big one to talk about. Uh, and, yeah, you, hopefully people know. They've, they're, maybe they're listening to this on a web page. If you are, you can subscribe to the show um, through all the usual podcast uh, apps and you can subscribe on Spotify. Um, if you're a nice person, you can even leave reviews on things like the Apple Store because apparently that helps. Please do. But like I've said before, I'll only mention it now and then. I'm not going to be one of those people who <laughs> craves validation buttons crave stars on <laughs> on podcasting apps um you can find me on twitter i am at seamus you can find me on twitter too i'm at dr nick that is dr underscore nic and then there is at Byteside where i curate different links and things that are just all the cool things that are out there each week. There's a weekly newsletter as well that you can subscribe to, and you can find that on biteside.com and click some buttons and get that in your inbox each week. Uh, we are at the Byteside on Instagram and just straight up Byteside on Facebook. Like I say, I might update that a bit more down, now that I'm not just going to mindlessly scroll on my Facebook feeds like I know I do way too often in the past. No I, more. I, no think it, I think more. it's great that you not being on Facebook is going to give you more time to be on Facebook. That's, that's right. In a professional context, <laughs> maybe I need to serve a bite side on LinkedIn. Oh, do that's it. What yeah, I really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, email us with any questions or responses to our "Did people spoil books for you?" Hey, if have you been enjoying Death Stranding? Have you been enjoying Simpsons in the cropped widescreen ratio? <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear from you, you deeply weird person, if you have been enjoying that. That's right. And look, uh, you know, I, I haven't done a lucky dip yet, but here I'm just going to put my hand in the bag because I've got a big giant bag of random things. And I'm just going to say that if if I had someone to give something to this week, uh, it would be, oh, a set of headphones from Melbourne International Games Week. How about that? Very cool. Um, I've even got a giant foam fallout finger in the bag as well. So, you know, there's all sorts of random exciting prizes in store. For you, dear listener, for you. Until next time, have a great week and we'll catch you then. Talk to you soon.